Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Get Your Fix podcast. My name is Vaughn, and I am so excited to be talking to you all today about all things fandom. If you had a chance to check out the trailer, you know that the Get Your Fix podcast is the home base for all of us who are a part of Hyperfixation Nation, um, whether you're into bands movies, books, TV shows, or anything else, um, this is the place to be, and I am so excited to be starting this project. So this is the very first episode, and I thought the what better way to start off with the Get Your Fix concept, if you will, with my very first real fandom. So, you know, when I was really little, I liked a lot of things, and I liked them really hard. You know, the very first anime that I saw, I guess if you consider it an anime, is technically Hamtaro. I was super into Hamtaro super into Zoids. Um, But the very first fandom that I really went all in on was Fall Out Boy. Fandom culture online. Um, I was a huge Fall Out Boy fan. So today we're going to be talking about all things Fall Out Boy and kind of the early 2000s pop punk movement as a whole, the Fueled by Ramen family. So let's get into it. Um, So I first discovered Fall Out Boy from my uncle Chris, actually. So he is super into music. Um, I probably get that from him, to be honest. Um, And he was uh, really, really active on Pandora. And he actually still uses Pandora, which I think is pretty cool. Um, You know, most people are on Spotify and Apple Music and all, but... Pandora is really cool. It was kind of the first like music generation platform that I remember where they would kind of do that algorithmic suggestion based on the type of music that you listen to. And um, he came across the Take This to Your Grave album, Where Is Your Boy Tonight, Dead on Arrival. He showed it to me and I swear I like astral projected out of my body. Like the sound resonated with me in such a specific way. And this was in 2003. So I was still in elementary school, actually. So I couldn't actually relate to anything they were probably really talking about. Um, The Take This to Your Grave album is uh, kind of a heartbreak album. There's a lot in there about uh, lost love and and not really feeling seen or understood. Um, And I think that I kind of always felt that way. I think a lot of people who were into pop punk back in the day didn't really feel seen or understood. And I think that that's what makes it really special. And so I you know, begged my mom to take me to Walmart so that I could buy the CD. And I listened to it over and over again on the CD player in my room. And I was really hooked ever since. Um, And as I got a little bit older, you know, middle school, I got onto MySpace and I was really into Quizilla. Shout out to anyone that remembers Quizilla. Um, And I was just really like saturating my brain with anything about Fall Out Boy that I could find. Um, I was so into it. I, you know, got a huge crush on Pete Wentz really early, which I know, you know, is kind of like a milk toast opinion. Um, I think a lot of people that are into Fall Out Boy are really into Pete Wentz. Um, and there's a lot of discourse online about popular members and and things like that, which uh, I'll probably talk about in a future episode, but kind of how I see those parallels showing up in K-pop spaces now, which is really interesting. But yeah, so I was printing out pictures of Pete Wentz and his low-rise jeans at my school library and taking them home with me in my notebook and taping them to my walls. And, you know, in case the FBI is listening, ignore this next part, but, you know, ripping anything that I could off of the, like, music pirating platforms. It was really popular to do that back in the day. And something about the combination of really poetic lyrics with, like, a complex music happening in the background 
It was just like unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Um, and there's lots of TikToks being made right now by millennials that I think are really funny of uh, all of our parents kind of freaking out a little bit when we made the transition from boy bands to pop punk. And that was totally me. I was super into NSYNC and Aaron Carter. And then um, I heard Take This to Your Grave and just became a total scene kid almost overnight. And the online culture around it is so much different than it was than it is now. Um, and it's really cool to kind of see that evolution of fandom online. Uh, but I was talking to my friends about it, but back then it really wasn't cool to like pop punk at all. And I remember people were so mean to me for liking fallout boy. And I actually had my first kiss with a guy named Hunter specifically because he was like the only boy in my school that also liked fallout boy. And I just remember that being so important to me, like, oh, no matter what else it is that you have to say or what you're interested in or your personality, that literally doesn't matter. You like Fall Out Boy, like I'm in love with you. Um, and uh, I remember being like 13 and just thinking to myself, these guys really, really get it. So I thought it would be cool to kind of talk about the history of Fall Out Boy a little bit and kind of lead us to where we are now. Um, and I wanted to start with this episode, especially because there's a new Fall Out Boy album. And it is the 20 year anniversary of Take This to Your Grave, which is the first album that I ever listened to. And so that's 20 years of liking a band. Um, and I know that people, you know, older than me have been liking bands for even longer. You know, I think about kind of like the old head rocker guys who've been into, you know, the Rolling Stones for way, way longer than I've liked Fall Out Boy. Um, but Fall Out Boy really feels like for me, like my generation's like forever rock stars, right? They have an incredible legacy. They've been the soundtrack of so many core memories for so many people. Um, so yeah, so Fall Out Boy, uh, a lot of people probably already know this, but uh, got their start kind of in the Chicago underground scene. Um, Fall Out Boy and uh, kind of were born out of a need to escape the like toxic masculinity of the metal scene um, and the harder music scene happening in Chicago it was getting really violent. Um, and so they wanted to create a softer sound where they could really express themselves. And that really resonated with me as, as a kid who was kind of struggling with my own brand of masculinity. Like a lot of rock bands, uh, they had some turnover with their drummer. So Andy Hurley was not the original drummer. Um, and on their first album, technically their first album, Evening Out With Your Girlfriend, um, Andy's not the drummer on that album, which I think is really interesting. And I loved that album too, but I discovered it later. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, you know, the very first, like I said, the first sound that I heard was Take This to Your Grave. But um, Evening Out With Your Girlfriend is, I think, a really cool time capsule of like the marriage between the like metal scene, like the harder music scene and what the evolution of pop punk would eventually be. Um, you know, they're still screaming on Evening Out With Your Girlfriend and Take This to Your Grave and um, even on From Under the Cork Tree, which was their second studio album. Um, there's still those elements, right, of like the screaming happening. Um, and it, to me, it didn't really soften into the pop punk sound that we really identify as pop punk today until Infinity on High. And um, the there's a song on From Under the Cork Tree that I think kind of captured this that's called uh, Sophomore Slump or Comeback of the Year. And the lyrics are kind of talking about how um, even back then, before the the virality of social media, the kind of temporary nature of blowing up, right? Like you blow up, 
you get really famous and then you kind of have to ride that wave, right? And you could ride the wave for longer than now the wave is really short. But I, I really think that they were doing something completely new that people hadn't heard before. And I think that that's reflected in the culture around it. So, you know, kids who liked Fall Out Boy were like picked on and that's because it was counterculture. And it's kind of hard to imagine now uh, because I think Fall Out Boy, people have a, a concept of Fall Out Boy nowadays that is a little bit more commercialized. And, you know, now it's kind of cool to like pop punk music. You know, we have a lot of people in the pop punk scene who are really, really making it out there. Like um, Willow is is doing kind of that emo pop punk sound in her music and and Dior, um, Youngblood, you know, these are kind of the next gen pop punk folks that I kind of see creating similar sounds. Um, And uh, I really think that, you know, it's a bold statement um, and I might get hate for this, but that Fall Out Boy were really the the godfathers of, of the pop punk sound that we know today. And so I kind of had a strict mom, so I wasn't allowed to go to concerts at all. Like it was a complete and total no-go. Um, I had a strict curfew. And so one of the things that really uh, is probably going to be a lifelong regret for me is that I wasn't able to see Fall Out Boy in concert pre-hiatus. Um, and so, you know, I didn't really get to witness them live until after um, they came back with my songs, Know What You Did in the Dark. And um, I feel like the people who had that experience are having such a unique experience that they can kind of keep to themselves forever. Like that's so special and incredible. Um, so yeah. So then, you know, in infinity on high was, was a really big album. You know, there was kind of the marriage of some of the like hip hop elements too. So featuring uh, black artists who are really popular in the hip hop space and um, there was a lot of pushback about that, too. People were really freaked out. They were like, oh, my God, what what are these hip hop artists doing on this like weird, like eclectic sounding, you know, sort of boy band, but not really. Um, and I think that that was really cool and amazing. And I think it really speaks to the respect that Fall Out Boy kind of has in this industry. Um, Thanks for the Memories was iconic. You know, Kim Kardashian's in that video. Uh, you know, I remember listening to that album kind of laying on my bedroom floor and I, I like could feel the music like physically moving through me and it was amazing. Um, and then that brings us to the Falea Du album, right? So Falea Du was a controversial album at the time. And, um, Pete and Patrick actually just talked about this in a Rolling Stones interview recently with the release of the new album, So Much for Stardust, which was that, people nowadays are saying Filet Do is their favorite album. Pete kind of said on stage recently at a, at a performance they were doing kind of like a, a pre-show performance that like, let's test that. Like, is that really true? Because at the time, nobody liked that album. You know, they were snubbed by the Grammys. The Grammys has since issued an apology that, for snubbing that album. Um, but that album well and truly was, it, it was 2010 and I was a sophomore in high school and I... The, the first time I heard Head First Slide into Cooperstown, I I felt like I was just going to disappear. Like my body couldn't contain how that album made me feel. And I was really, really sad because by then I was on Tumblr and I entered into my Tumblr bandom era and made a lot of online friends on bandom Tumblr. Um, 
and actually my fiance and I were both on Bantam Tumblr and that's one of the reasons we ended up dating. They're more of a Panic at the Disco person themselves. But, uh, you know, I, I remember, like, I was on the live journal. I was reading Pete's stream of consciousness thoughts. You know, I was in the drama with Chris. Um, and I really feel like it was the first time I experienced that, like, parasocial dynamic of, you know, feeling like you're friends with your favorite artist, which nowadays is kind of, like, built into the recipe of being a musician. Um, you know, there's whole services you can purchase or you can sign up and get texts from your favorite artists. Um, and a lot of them have YouTube specials and podcasts now. And, you know, the there is money to be made in cultivating that parasocial relationship, but it really was not popular back then. And, you know, being able to like directly speak to an artist that you're a huge fan of on LiveJournal was like, bizarre to be honest with you um and you know you just didn't have the access to celebrities that you have now so you know i was seeing the reaction to filet adieu and people really didn't like it they they didn't like i don't care that single didn't do that well um in the long term i mean it, it exploded when it was first released but then the album came out way way too long after that um and and by the time the album came out people didn't like it anymore and it was just, it was really experimental. And um, I, you know, at the risk of sounding kind of cliche, like I really just think it was ahead of its time. I don't think people were ready for it. But it's to this day, my most played Fall Out Boy album. Um, and, you know, I wore that CD all the way out um, in my room, in my car. But there was definitely tension, you know, there was like stuff going on in the guys' lives. And, you know, we kind of knew that there was not harmony within the band. Um, and so when the hiatus happened, I wouldn't say that I was surprised, but I was heartbroken. I was like, no, a hiatus is a death sentence. Like they're, they're, you know, and everyone was saying like Fall Out Boy's over, but I just had so much faith in them as creators. And I really believed that they were doing something that no one else was doing and kind of like cultivating that space for other people who wanted to make music like them. You know, Panic at the Disco is a great example of that. Um, you know, Cobra Starship was on the Decay Dance label. Like, uh, there really was this, like, sense of family and camaraderie around trying to do something new and experimental and, and expressive. And, um, and that was really important to me, you know, as a young man. Like, seeing that kind of example of masculinity was really, really foundational for me. And I really felt like that came through in the Philly I Do album. Um, and the, the, the Fueled by Ramen medley on What a Catch Donnie. Oh my gosh. Like hearing the, I will never, I wish I could bottle the way that hearing that song for the first time made me feel and just like take a little hit of it every now and then, because it was just so incredible to hear the voices of all these artists that you were already listening to collaborate on a project. So I was really sad when the hiatus happened, but some, something in my heart knew that they weren't finished. Um, and I was just kind of hoping like that they were working through something and that they would get through it and work it out. Um, and the hiatus era was really interesting because I, like I said, was, uh, Pete Wentz kid through and through, but the black keys was to be honest, not my favorite project. And I wanted to like it so bad. I defended it to all my friends. I was like, the black keys is great. You guys just don't get it. And it wasn't, and that's okay. Um, but soul punk was incredible and it was a pop album, you know, it was like Patrick kind of stepping out into doing something totally different from fallout boy. It was pop music. And 
I hadn't listened to pop in a really long time. And I, I love that album. Um, and there was a time kind of in that in-between place where I was like, okay, well, if music like soul punk comes out, then maybe I'll be all right. <laughs> you know, like I'll, I'll, I will live, you know, I can get with this. I still love Patrick and, and, you know, Pete was still working on the record label and, you know, continuing to cultivate new artists, which I thought was amazing. And so I was like, you know, maybe we can live with this. And then kind of flash forward to I'm in college. I'm a freshman in college. I'm sitting in class. I'm on my phone when I'm not supposed to be. Um, you know, it's February 2013. And I get this notification on my Facebook. And I will never forget that it was Facebook because I'm not on Facebook anymore. And it was just a, a link dropped to a music video. And I was like, holy shit, here we fucking go it's it's the renaissance baby like I was so excited and I literally left class and like went home I and my boyfriend at the time I was like follow boys back follow boys back oh my god and I just was crying I was crying because I you know I really felt like my favorite band is coming back and there are lots of things that are important to me in this life of course like my relationship my friendships my career but I care so deeply about the things that I like. And that is the thesis statement of this podcast, that these are often driving forces in my life of things that motivate me. They get me up in the morning. I'm so excited when they go on tour, drop a new album, buy tickets, you know, anything like that. And I feel really lucky and grateful to care about something that much. And so I watched the My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark video literally over and over and over again um, until the Save Rock and Roll album came out. And um, the Youngblood Chronicles music videos, like having a, a whole narrative threaded through each and every video that they were posting for the whole album, it, it was like totally revolutionary to me. You know, I got to see them in concert for the first time at this small venue in Richmond. And I was really surprised that they booked such small venues. You know, I, cause to me, they're like, what other bands are there? You know, but I to I totally get it in hindsight. Like they really weren't sure if their comeback was going to be well received or not. Um, and that makes total sense. Right. And so I feel like I got a taste of what a pre-hiatus concert could have been like, um, especially like back in the, from under the cork tree era, right? Like dance, dance, sugar, we're going down. Like that was like the height of their pre-hiatus uh, popularity. Um, it was general admission. So it was a pit and I, you know, elbowed my way to the front row. It was the first time I had seen any of the guys in person. And that is a core memory for me. Like I will, I will never, ever, ever forget that, uh, a day in my life. Um, it was just so incredible. And, um, I kind of realized that the, the love that I had for them when I was nine, when I was 13, when I was 16, was exactly the same, if not stronger. And the Save Rock and Roll album hit every note that I wanted it to hit, right? It was a new sound. And that is that is the thing that I love most about Fall Out Boy, is that every album is a new sound, but it sounds like a Fall Out Boy album. You know, they have this really unique identity as a band that when you hear it, you know it's a Fall Out Boy song. Even if it's experimental, even if it's a totally different genre, or if it's a, a marriage of genres or genre bending, you know, I would say each album has its own identity, um, but it's nestled within the larger identity that is Fall Out Boy. 
And that is, I think, so difficult to cultivate, um, especially now, like I said, with like the virality of being online and, and kind of everyone's pulling inspiration for everyone. And that's how art has always been, right? Like all art is inspired by other art, you know? And, and Fall Boy have shared their inspiration several times, but being able to create your own sound and identity as a band and, and kind of build a legacy around that is just such a rare thing. And again, in that same Rolling Stones article, something uh, that Pete said recently was that for Fall Out Boy, for their band, an album release should be an event. It should be a really big deal. And I, I have felt that way about every album that they've put out. It's been such a production in the best way. Um, but I think Save Rock and Roll really captures that the best. Um, you know, it was, you know, they were coming back, they're ending the hiatus, they did a music video for every single song. There's a whole uh, narrative around it, which I just thought was so cool. And that and that narrative translates in the music. And, you know, it was different. There were some more synth uh, in, in the Save Rock and Roll album. There was the incorporation of some classic rock uh, artists like Elton John and uh, Courtney Love, um, but also some newer artists like Fleet Foxes, which I thought was amazing, like kind of the marriage of the music industry across generations. And I think that that's something that Fall Out Boy really stands for is kind of connecting people across generations and 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 being true to yourselves. Um, and so, yeah, that album was incredible. I, I wore that one all the way out too. And uh, uh, finally getting to see them live was just magical. Um, and so, you know, now we're in that post-hiatus era. You know, that's where we're at currently. Um, And I, you know, this is where we kind of get into the only Fall Out Boy album that I'm not head over heels in love with, which is ABAP, American Beauty, American Psycho. And don't get me wrong, I, some of my favorite Fall Out Boy songs are on that album. Favorite record, Jetpack Blues, Twin Skeletons, like those songs move me deeply the way that Fall Out Boy songs always do. But there's just something about that album that doesn't quite hit for me. Um, and it's, you know, the, the immortals and centuries, Uma Thurman, you know, it's kind of, it's not the sound that I want from them, but that doesn't mean that I don't deeply appreciate it as a piece of art and as a fall of white album. Right. Um, again, I think it's a little bit experimental, like, uh, American beauty, American psycho, you know, I was not in love with it when I heard it. And and I worked a coffee shop at the time and Uma Thurman played over and over and over again. You know, Centuries was an NFL song. Um, you know, Immortals was on a Disney movie. And it, I just felt like I was um, having like a different experience. And I also feel like this is kind of where the divide really began between pre-hiatus and post-hiatus fans. And not that there's beef or anything. I, I actually this is, I think, really cool. Um, and, you know, I think nowadays in our culture, this might be seen as like cringe, but on Tumblr fandom, fandom Tumblr, if you will, I was a somewhat popular Fall Out Boy blog, um, not like famous or anything like that, but I had a, quite a few followers and I was in this really cool community and I had made a ton of friends. Um, and there was this account that did Fall Out Boy Bigs and Littles, which I thought was so cool. And the bigs were those of us that were pre-hiatus fans and the littles were post-hiatus fans. And we were kind of paired together. Um, And we had this really cool experience of like meeting someone who is a post-hiatus fan who really doesn't know Fall Out Boy like that, was not on LiveJournal, 
didn't live through the Ryan Ross drama, you know, didn't live through the like Pete Mikey way drama, like, and really didn't have a sense of what their music was really like when it was coming out. Um, and so I got to make friends with this person on Tumblr and we chatted all the time. We did like video calls and I, you know, told her all about, you know, growing up in middle school and high school as a Fall Out Boy fan and, you know, the MTV performances, you know, like on TRL and all of that, um, you know, the Pete Nudes scandal, like all of it. Right. And it was so cool because I felt like we were kind of living out like that dream with Fall Out Boy of like connecting across generations. I'm still mutuals with her on Tumblr. Um, and we've both changed our Tumblrs to move on to different things. Like mine is more focused on K-pop and hers is a gorilla account now. Gorillas, I'm sorry, gorillas account now. And I think that that's really cool that we're still connected and that kind of Fall Out Boy brought us together. Um, but what I noticed in talking with her was that um, ABAP was a really popular album uh, among post-hiatus fans. And it was not a popular album among pre-hiatus fans. And I just thought that was really fascinating. And even my my fiance is a post-hiatus Fall Out Boy fan. Um, they really got into pop punk way later in their life. Like they were already an adult when they got into pop punk. And so, uh, you know, they feel differently about that album than I do. And I just think that that's so cool and interesting, like how the culture around it and what your lived experiences are can impact the way that you consume music. And so, but, you know, when it came out at the time, I was like, well, I love half of this album. I still love Fall Out Boy, but maybe I'm on the tail end of it, right? Like maybe I am outgrowing this fandom and that's okay. And I can move on to be like a casual listener. You know, that's kind of where I was at because I had already gotten into K-pop at that time. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to focus my energy over here. And, you know, I still went to the concert. I still saw them live. I loved it. It was still amazing. Um, but, you know, it was kind of waning for me a little bit. And I felt like that was kind of healthy. You know, it didn't feel, I didn't feel like heartbroken over it. Um, but I was, I was a little bit sad. But, you know, at the same time, it was like, maybe this is the natural order of things. And that was kind of re-solidified for me when Paxam Days came out, even though Paxam Days was like a, a mixtape. It wasn't like a studio album. And it was purposefully experimental. Um, and I really enjoyed it but not like as a Fall Out Boy listener. You know, it was kind of like, it's not easy listening. If you've ever listened to Pax M Days, it is not easy listening. And it wasn't hitting those same notes for me that hit, that Fall Out Boy hit for me when I was young, right? So I was like, cool, you know, new era, moving on. And then the Mania album came out and I lost my fucking mind. I actually think that this is kind of an unpopular opinion among pre-hiatus fans. Like pre-hiatus fans don't love the Mania album. But I was in grad school, right? One of the hardest times of my life. I was really depressed <laughs> in grad school, um, not sleeping, pulling long hours. And that album was like a lightning bolt to my spirit. Like it reinvigorated my will to live, quite literally. And the aesthetics, like the deep purples, the Romeo and Juliet of the, the music video of Last of the Real Ones was just like... Oh my gosh, it was incredible. Or not Last of the Real Ones, it was Church, actually. Um, the Church video was kind of like a Romeo and Juliet vibe. I really feel like it honed back in on Patrick's incredible vocals. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes me love Fall Out Boy so much as well, is that Patrick is 
to me, a one of a kind vocalist. He is extremely talented, like the range. And I really felt like the Mania album highlighted that range. And it was, you know, genre bending, like they all are, right? Um, You know, I really, I love Bishop's Knife Trick is kind of a little bit that smoother, softer, kind of like harrowing ballad type song. And then, you know, again, reincorporating those synths a lot more. Um, and, And I felt like, okay, here we go, baby. We're back in it. You know what I mean? Like I was totally sucked all the way back in. And when I think about each of these albums, I, I rem- they remind me of the time of my life that I was in when I heard them. And they're so intrinsically linked to my memories at that time, you know, like, and I just, when I hear Mania, I remember how hard grad school was, but I also remember how much easier hearing those songs made it feel and um, one of my best friends, Hillary, um, we met in grad school and we played that album in my car over and over and over again, like in the fucking grad school parking lot with the windows down. It's like two in the morning. We're exhausted. We're miserable. <laughs> you know, we, you know, are having an existential crisis. Like, what are we doing with our lives? And we're just like blasting the Mania album over and over and over again. And I'll never forget her favorite song um, is uh, Wilson. And when I hear that song, I think of her. And I just think that that's really special. And um, we went to that tour together, actually. So uh, that album tour was with Machine Gun Kelly. And we're both also fans of Machine Gun Kelly, which was really cool. Um, And we got to see them both live and, like, sing our absolute hearts out until our voices are hoarse, you know? And we still do that now with other bands that we like. And um, I I really got her into uh, K-pop as well. I kind of brought her uh, along with me. But I feel like that kind of first point of connection really was the, that that Fall Out Boy album. And um, kind of set the tone for our friendship, which is amazing. And then, you know, after Mania, what happens next? COVID-19, right? And we were all on lockdown. And... It's actually kind of funny to think about because the time between the Mania album and So Much for Stardust is longer than their hiatus was. (laughs) And uh, Pete said something again in an interview that said, you know, we weren't on hiatus. We were working this whole time. But the pandemic was a really fucked up time. And, And not to mention the fact that it's still happening. Right. I think like for a lot of people, 2020 and 2021 were some of the lowest points in my life. I had gone through a breakup of, you know, a relationship I was in for five years. Um, and, you know, my my whole life was different. Like everyone's whole life was different, right? Like I was furloughed from my job and I was still just listening to Mania over and over again. And I had this really cool experience with my friend Alex, who was also a huge Fall Out Boy fan. Um, and we were, it was during uh, quarantine and Pete was doing like a late night live where he was just sharing music that he'd been listening to and, you know, how it was getting him through the pandemic and like how, you know, when things are hard, music's always there for us to return to. And uh, again, you know, not to buy into the parasocial of it all, but I felt like I was on live journal when I was 14 all over again. You know, I'm on Instagram. He's just chatting with us, you know, sharing with us what he's been listening to. And I commented in the chat and I said, hey, Pete, do you think you could share a playlist for this after the live so that we can download it? And he read my comment out loud 
and was like, that's a great idea. Yeah, I would love to do that. I'll definitely post the playlist. And I like burst into tears because that's like the closest I've gotten to like really talking to him. I mean, I did go to a meet and greet in, in 2014, which was incredible. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to take pictures with them and they, I have a signed canvas from them and I got to tell them how much they changed my life, but it was in a meet and greet setting. Right. And, you know, you would think it would be more impactful because it was in person. Um, but it was so fast and everyone around me was kind of having that similar experience. And, you know, the security was like pushing us forward, you know, it was, and I was kind of like out of body experiencing that just because I was so overwhelmed of meeting my favorite band in person. Like it was just crazy, but, and I'll, I'll never forget it. It was at Walnut Creek in Raleigh and this felt similar, but like more intimate somehow, like, you know, even Fall Out Boy is stuck in their house, you know, and is feeling that existential dread that we're all feeling right now. And for him to just like sit on live with us and share with us his music. Like I remember that being a really impactful moment for me during quarantine where I was like, you know what, maybe we're going to be all right. Um, and you know, I have that playlist downloaded on my Apple music and I do listen to it all the time and it does make me feel closer to him, which I think is really cool. But you know, there wasn't a whole lot of music happening at that time. And then, you know, we're in this era now in 2023 where some people are moving on from the pandemic um, and some of us aren't. And it's really, really challenging mental health wise. And I heard the first time I heard love from the other side, I was like, Oh, this album is going to absolutely go the fuck off. And I was really excited because young and menace is not my favorite single And it did make me question whether or not I was going to like Mania. You know, I was still in that phase of like, oh, am I over Fall Out Boy? You know, Young and Menace isn't like everything. And then that album blew my mind. So thank God for that. But with this album, you know, I heard Love from the Other Side and I was like, oh, this is it. You know, we're once again, not to repeat the same thing, but here we go, baby. We're back, you know. And I love the ways that they're connecting with fans about it. You know, these really small listening parties, playing really small venues with throwback set lists, you know, leaving gifts all over Los Angeles for people to find and like dropping coordinates. Like experiences like that, like aren't really that common anymore. And it's so quintessentially Fall Out Boy to like leave a pink seashell at a bookstore, right? And I just was like, you know, I felt again, like 16 again in the best way. Um, and, you know, some of it's a little commercial, but that's just the gig nowadays, you know, like with the, you know, having to do the template for the album cover where people can put their own pets. And um, I really have to fight back against my like late 90s, early 2000s, like counterculture instincts from like, Ugh, like, why are we doing like online trends? Like, that's so lame. But it's not lame. You know, I think that that's really cool. And like finding really small joys in you know, creating a Fall of White album cover with your own pet. Like, that's what a great idea. And they did, like, the exclusive merch for Heartbreak Feels So Good because when it first uploaded to Apple Music, they forgot to update, update the title. Apple Music did, and it just said Track 2. Um, and so they put in an exclusive Valentine's Day t-shirt that says Track 2 on it. And that that's so cool. Like, you know, we don't have to be mad about technological glitches, right? Like, we can make an experience out of them. 
I feel like that is really the essence of Fall Out Boy to me is really connecting with their audience and with their fans and and with young people everywhere who feel like they don't belong places. Um, and I've made so many friends over the years because of Fall Out Boy. I mean, all of my best friends are Fall Out Boy fans. And that's that's really cool, right? Um, uh, I actually wrote a blog about this called Fitness and Fandom on my blog, vonreyes.medium.com, if you're interested in that. Um, and that is about how music helped me find joyful movement in my body again. Um, you know, I grew up as a fat kid and I really didn't like working out and it was just like a really stressful thing. And I started going to this spin class um, in my in my local spin gym and my instructor is a huge Fall Out Boy fan. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And the first class I went to with her, she played a Fall Out Boy song. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've been missing in my life. Like if, you, if people just played Fall Out Boy every time I did an exercise class, I would have mad gains. Um, and uh, recently she did an album listening party essentially at spin class. So my spin class is, uh, 40 minutes long. The album is 40 minutes without the two speaking interludes, the one from Ethan Hawke and the one from Pete. I got to listen to the whole album in a room full of people who love Fall Out Boy, who love spin. And we got to really, really put the work in while listening to the brand new Fall Out Boy album. And what an incredible, unique experience to have that just feels so special and memorialized to me. Um, and I feel like this album, you know, there's songs about COVID on it and quarantined about caring about each other. And there's songs about like anti-black racism in this country, you know, heartbreak feels so good is, is about being black in America. And like, that's something that's always been interwoven into Fall Out Boy's music that I think a lot of people don't always tap into, which is that they're always talking about something real and important, even if it's, you know, your first heartbreak or, you know, getting cheated on or, um, you know, getting in a fight with your parents, which really resonated with me when I was a young person. But, um, you know, there's a lot of political music on Falea do. They talk about, you know, Desert Storm and $20 Nosebleed. And I think to be unafraid to to talk about things in your music that matter and that affect you and affect the people that you care about um, really resonates with me and is really important. And I, and I don't think a lot of artists are still doing that. Um, I think a lot of artists really tap into their own personal experiences, which a lot of people can relate to. And that is equally as important to me. You know, sharing the vulnerable truths about your own life is incredible and it helps people know that they're not alone. Something my dad always talks about, though, is how we're not really doing political music anymore like we used to. And I think that there's some truth to that. I think a lot of artists are doing political music, um, even if we're not always cognizant of it. Um, and I think one of them is Fall Out Boy. I think that they're they're always talking about something real. And I, there are a few moments in my life where I feel more real than when I'm listening to a Fall Out Boy song. And so I'm really excited to wear this new album all the way out. Uh, you know, I'm going to burn a hole in my phone playing it on repeat over and over and over again. Um, I'm really, really excited to see them twice this year. I'm going to see them in July and in August. And, you know, the world is a really scary place right now. And the world has been a really scary place for a long time for a lot of people, um, especially those of us that, you know, experience some of those isms in the world. And one of the, one of the ways that I find an oasis is by you know, tapping into how much I love Fall Out Boy and listening to their music and, and going to their concerts and 
going to their concerts with people who love them as much as I do. So I'm going to see them in July with Hillary with, uh, for her birthday. I'm going to see them in August, my fiance. And my spin instructor is going to be there too at the show in August. And and what a cool way to like make a connection in your community. I I think that Fall Out Boy is always going to be important to me. And, and maybe one day, maybe one day I will move out of this fandom space. And it's definitely changed over the years, how I engage with it. And I think that that's okay. And um, I'm going to just enjoy it for now. And I, you know, I'm almost 30 and I'm still a huge Fall Out Boy fan. And I'm, and, and I have the privilege of living to 30 and not being 16 anymore and not feeling embarrassed about the things that I like. One of my coworkers is a big Fall Out Boy fan too. Um, and that was really a great way for us to bond, especially in a remote workplace, you know? To me, that's what's really special about Fall Out Boy is is the ways that you can connect with other people who love the things that you love and to relate to them as artists. You know, I also last year had the incredible opportunity to meet Joe Troman at his book tour. Um, you know, this So Much for Stardust era is also talking a lot about mental health and about taking care of yourself, especially when things are hard. Um, so Joe's not going to be touring with them. And uh, I had a little bit of feelings about that only because every time I've seen them live, I've always been on Joe's side of the stage somehow. And I'm, um, you know, I'm always like face to face with Joe playing guitar, like shredding right in my eye holes, which is so fun. Uh, so I kind of feel like he's like my, my concert buddy. So I'm definitely going to miss him this year. And because of that, I felt really grateful to be able to go to his book tour and really hear from him directly what the experience was like to start Fall Out Boy. And, you know, he talked about mental health. He talked about having a hard relationship with his mom um, as a young man and how that was, you know, that's so relatable and something that we don't always talk about a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, I read his memoir and I was laughing. I was crying. I was saying, hell yeah, man, me too. And, you know, at the meet and greet after when he signed my copy, you know, we had the chance to kind of talk about that masculinity. And, you know, he shared about how Fall Out Boy is not like super aggro dudes. Like they wear tight pants, they wear makeup. And and it, I shared with him that it, it gave me permission to be that type of man too. And I will be forever grateful that I was able to have that experience and that I was really able to connect with him as a member of my favorite band. And it like brought this like newfound appreciation for me for the whole band, but for, for Joe especially. And I think it's an incredible example that he's setting to be able to take a step back and prioritize his own mental health and his family. So I'm really excited about this new era that we're in. And, you know, they're all in their late thirties, early forties. They all have families. You know, they're not the same band that I listened to when I was, you know, nine years old listening to my uncle's Pandora. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, so there's one thing I can take away from follow-up way is giving my perso- myself permission to evolve and to do the things that I want to do and be true to my own creativity and also to my values and my own brand of masculinity. And I can't wait to go on tour. Um, and I can't wait to see what they work on next. So that is my uh, sort of condensed take on, on Fall Out Boy and my experience with it. And I might revisit them in the future because like I said, lots of my friends are Fall Out Boy fans. Um, we might dive into a little bit more about Bandom Tumblr later on. Um, but I think I'll leave it here for now and uh, would love to hear from you 
if you are a fallout boy fan or a fueled by ramen fan or have you know adjacent to the fallout boy cinematic universe if you will um, i love to hear about it uh, you can find me on twitter and instagram at get your fix pod you can also find me uh, on my website get your fix pod.card.co uh, that's c-a-r-r-d and then if you like the show and you had a good time hanging out with me, uh, hang out with me again. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you know, turn on automatic downloads. And if you had a good time with me today, you can leave me a review. So that is all for this episode of the Get Your Fix podcast. And I will see you next time. Talk about our next hyperfixation.